Hello and welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast where we show you that women are capable of absolutely incredible things with the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, and I'm really excited about this week's podcast episode. I'm always excited about the podcast, um, but this week feels really personal to me. Um, we're I'm, I'm so honored this week to be joined by Erin Bagwell, who is a documentary filmmaker, blogger, and new mom. Erin produced and directed Dream Girl, which was a documentary that showcased the stories of inspiring and ambitious uh, female leaders and female entrepreneurs. And I remember seeing that a few years ago now. It was uh, oh, 2016, I think. It was premiered at the Obama White House. And we've actually had the producer, her co-producer, Komal Minhas, um, from Dream Girl on the podcast before, way back, I think somewhere in the episode 70-ish range. But I always wanted to have Aaron on as well. And I'm so glad I waited till now because it is just the best fit. Aaron recently released her documentary, Year One, which is about it's a, it's a short documentary it's 30 minutes you can watch it on YouTube and it's about her experience uh, of, of motherhood and with postpartum depression and you know as we're doing this series on transitions you know big or small in life parenthood has been the biggest transition of my life and I think what made it such a challenging transition was it wasn't at all what I expected it would be like and and not so much that like you know taking care of kids is a little bit different in 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 action versus uh in expectation but i wasn't expecting postpartum depression and i wasn't expecting to struggle to bond with my child right away in that same way and so when i watched year 1 which aaron produced and directed it's just it hit so close to home and you know, one in five women experience postpartum depression or anxiety disorder. And I, I, I just think there's so many people who will benefit from watching this, um, will feel less alone, will feel like their motherhood experience or shift into parenthood. They were not alone in it. And it's one thing to all know that, right? Like, you know, you're one in five, you know, you're whatever, but it's a whole different thing to have your experience reflected back at you on screen, right? And so I I love this conversation that I had with Erin about what her expectations of motherhood were, what they ended up being in reality, her experience with postpartum, what it means to have to have your career shift so significantly after having kids parenting during COVID. All of these, it was such a fascinating conversation. So whether you have kids, whether you're thinking about having kids, whether you're just curious about um, the experience of postpartum, I I think this is such a powerful conversation and I know you'll get a lot out of it. Make sure to check in the description of wherever you're listening to this podcast. We will link to Erin's newsletter as well as where you can watch year one. Honestly, some one of the most powerful 30 minutes you'll ever spend so make sure you take the time to watch the documentary this week before we head into the interview i just wanted to share some exciting news of my own um if you follow me on instagram you'll know this already but my book stress less in 90 days your guide to beat burnout build resilience and actually enjoy your daily life the ebook is available for pre-order on amazon 
I'm working on getting it to all the places, the Barnes and Noble and the Kobo and all those places. But for now, it is available for pre-order on Amazon. Um, we're getting the print book almost finalized. So as soon as that is available for pre-order, I'll let you know. And as soon as the audiobook is available, I will let you know. It's, um, I tell you, this could be a full-time job just getting this book out into the world, but I'm so, so proud of it. And the reason I'm excited for people to have this is because it is just the most affordable, tangible, break it down step-by-step version of the coaching that I do with my clients. So I know with COVID, it's a struggle for all of us to even have the capacity or the bandwidth to think, how am I going to manage less stress right now in a time like this? I totally get that. Um, and th- and that's why I think this book is going to be so helpful for so many people. And early feedback on it from beta readers is, is just really positive. So I'm I'm so proud and excited to have this out in the world. So again, if you are interested in pre-ordering an ebook version of it, you can find it on Amazon right now, and I'm sure I will have more updates for you in next week's podcast episode. So without further ado, let's head into the interview with Erin. Well, thank you so much, Erin, for joining me on the podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Victoria. I'm so excited to be here. I have to say, so I was a fan of Dream Girl when I saw it uh, in the first place. But then when I saw Year One, I don't think I've ever felt so connected to a documentary in my life. I felt like you were telling my story and the story of so many women out there in such a raw and honest and vulnerable way. So from me to you, I just want to say a big thank you for creating this film. Oh, I, that means the world to me here. You know, when I was making year one, I would often feel very insecure about how personal the film is. And I would think like, nobody's going to be able to relate to this because this is my specific experience. But I think my co-writer, Diana Matthews, and I really tried to pull out those moments of truth that really now as we're talking and as I'm connecting with other parents have really resonated. And it's so funny in our parenting experience, you know, we really, we often think we're on an island, right? And we're often not. (laughs) We're often going through, you know, very similar things. And I feel really lucky that I have a group of, you know, girlfriends that I can text and we can kind of commiserate so that I, I know that and I'm grounded in that. But you know, how strange the parenting experience is that you that you feel so isolated, especially in the beginning of that first year. For sure. So I, I actually want to roll back a little bit because I think first time parents going into it, we all have certain expectations or visions of what it's going to be, right? So pre Ginny coming onto the scene, what were your expectations of what parenting would be like, Work being a working parent would be like? What did you envision? Yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, I think I I really don't know if I had like any clear idea of how being a parent would like blow up my life, I think in so many ways. And I kind of thought, you know, the baby would fit into like my experience and my identity instead of like the other way around where you really, I feel like in the beginning, especially have to kind of surrender to their needs, their feeding schedule, their sleep schedule, 
and it was, I was in kind of a strange place because my business with Dream Girl, I was, um, I got paid to travel with the film and speak alongside of it at different companies was kind of dwindling down. So I really wasn't sure. I actually started kind of interviewing pregnant and didn't really find anything. I wasn't sure kind of what my career, what that piece was going to look like. So then when Ginny was born and I had such debilitating postpartum depression, my whole focus really became on survival. And so work totally took a backseat and we were privileged enough that we could kind of live you know, month to month while we figured it out and while I figured out what the next thing was going to be. And so I think it took me a lot by surprise. I think not only the physical demands of being a new parent, but just emotionally, you know, and obviously with my PPD, I had, I feel like that manifested a lot in my identity of like, who am I now? And how do I have space to figure this out when, you know, I went from being this you know, woman who's on flights and living this very glamorous startup life to being essentially a stay-at-home mom, which I've been really on and off the last three years. So it was such a difficult transition. And I don't, I'm always nervous to talk to expecting parents because I never really know what to say. And I know everyone's experience is so different, but yeah, it was definitely, I think it blew up my life. (laughs) in a way that I think in the beginning I thought ruined it and then really ultimately taught me so many lessons and made me, you know, stronger, happier, wiser in the end, ultimately. And in terms of that, the postpartum depression, when did you, like, did you feel that from the get-go? Was there a turning point where you felt that moment, like, where you recognized that's what it was? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I, I, when I went in for my, like, six-week postpartum checkup, I kind of was prepared to be very honest in like, you know, I had heard you're going to get a questionnaire from your doctor. They're going to talk to you about it. And I had kind of an inkling that I wasn't doing well. I mean, I was, I remember like getting up with Ginny at five in the morning and like sobbing hysterically, just like, which I had experienced before in depression, but I think this having the sleep deprivation piece of it threw me really for a loop because I couldn't really emotionally recognize where I was at because I just felt so kind of underwater and thought, oh, this is just how hard it is to have a baby. And so when I went into that doctor's appointment, you know, I'm, I'm ready to kind of like figure out what's going on, but she never, my doctor never asked me how I was doing emotionally. I never had to fill out one of those forms. And so I feel like I kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit of like going back into the swing of things and being a full-time mom. And then it was really, I had a friend on Instagram <laughs> you know, and I'm posting all these truths about my motherhood experience and I'm kind of oversharing a little bit and kind of like an acquaintance. I wouldn't even say she was like a close friend. Basically reached out to me and was like, hey, I think you have postpartum depression. Like, I I don't mean to be mean. You know, you just are kind of inhibiting some of these signs. You know, I don't think it should be this hard for you. Kind of like that with tons of love, like the, in like such a nice way. And I was like, do I really have that? Like, it really took me a long time to kind of come to it. But, you know, on and off kind of during those first three, three three-ish months, I would say, which were the hardest, like I was absolutely having suicidal ideations. I was absolutely like, oh my God, I'm not cut out for this. My daughter would be better off without me. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I'm terrible at this. And here I am like, 
have given up my career in some aspects to do this full time and I suck at it. And I just felt the weight of that. And so I think it took a really long time to kind of, for me to self-diagnose and then for me to also find the right people to help support me in naming it and talking about it. And I really think going to group therapy saved my life because I was able to kind of, I lived in so much shame of the diagnosis that being around other women, having us carry our stories together, A, was empowering, made me feel great after I left. But also I would be in the room and I'd be like, I'm too scared to say I've thought about killing myself. I've had those moments, but other women would say it. And we got to hear and support and share. And so I feel like at a moment where I wasn't brave enough to name it, I was in a safe space where other people could talk and share and we could work through it together. And thus I was able to work on it myself. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I recently rewatched the film again just to sort of prepare for this. And that moment where you're saying, you know, my daughter would be better off without me. I like hit home because myself and so many women I know had that exact same feeling and that exact same feeling of shame that you're talking about because the world is telling you this is the most magical time of your life, right? Like be grateful for everything. Just sleep when the baby sleeps. Right? <laughs> and it's maddening because you're like, I want, don't you think I want to? Right. So it's, um, I, it's interesting that you're saying that someone on Instagram, an acquaintance reached out to you with that because I don't know, because I, I, I'm curious how you first received that, because I remember seeing some of your videos of like struggling with Ginny sleeping and, and my son had colic, so I totally feel that. But there can also be the feeling on the other side of like, I don't want to crowd with information. I don't want to offer unsolicited advice or, or that kind of thing. So how was that? How did you receive that the first time? You know, I, you know, I'm someone who's had depression since she was, you know, like in high school. So I feel like I, I know what depression is. And when depression manifests for me, I'm like, I'm sleeping all the time. You know, I'm in that state of kind of like cloudiness. And when I had the baby, I couldn't, I couldn't like experience it the same way. Right. Because you're going, 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 you're not sleeping. Like everything is haywire. So, you know, when she first mentioned it to me, I, you know, I was kind of like, do I have that? I don't, like, I really couldn't connect the dots because it's not the depression that I knew and I'm used to, but I knew something was wrong. And I really, I, I, I didn't feel, you know, like personally attacked. I know I definitely felt kind of that energy in the beginning of getting a lot of unsolicited advice from parents and kind of being thoughtful about like when to ask a question and when to just state something. Um, so I've definitely felt that judgment, especially in the beginning. But this message kind of made me more curious. And I, I knew something. I mean, I, I could feel something in my bones was wrong. That shouldn't, you know, or I hoped that it shouldn't be like this. That it should be different. I should feel different. So I was open to kind of, you know, thinking about it and exploring it more. I'm also curious how that showed up in your relationship, right? Because like, a child changes everything and how we're showing up changes everything. So what was Sal noticing or what was, I mean, obviously he was like, this isn't normal or this is different, but. You know, I would be curious to have, and I should have a, you know, a conversation, especially as I go into baby number two with Sal. 
it came out as rage for me in our relationship. And, and I felt an immense amount of resentment for him going back to work, for him leaving me with this baby who doesn't sleep and doesn't nap and is screaming all the time. And so it was, it was very, very difficult. And I think it also kind of was just felt like we were reinforcing all these gender roles too. I think that's such a weird thing to navigate, especially, you know, as a heteronormative couple. Now I'm a stay-at-home mom. He's getting ready for work in the morning. I'm not showering. He's, you know, getting prepped and primped and like walking out the door with his coffee. And I'm just like, you know, look like I've been thrown up on and I'm just a mess. And so I think, you know, learning to advocate for myself in terms of what my job and what my labor is, was and is still difficult. But I think that Sal also went through a little bit of depression also, because I think we were both um, in such a crazy state. And, you know, when I look back to about being a new mom in Brooklyn and going up and down three flights of stairs and not having any family nearby and, you know, on and on just how um, and the difficulty of breastfeeding and the, the, how much I struggled and cried every time, you know, we breastfed for like the first couple of weeks. I mean, it was, it was really hard. And I think he was feeling the weight of that too. And I remember kind of being like having him come home and wanting him to like take the baby and having him come home and just be like depleted. Like there was no, it felt like neither of us had any like energy source to share with the other. It was, it was a very difficult period for sure. I remember one Valentine's day, you know, Ginny wasn't sleeping and we were like screaming at each other. It was just like, can we just pretend this day doesn't exist? You know, that was basically it. It can feel so transactional, right? In that, in that period where you're just like, I, we can't give anything to each other. We just got to survive this. Absolutely. That's definitely how it felt. Survival mode. (sighs) Yeah. Had you always intended to do a documentary for the first year, like regardless of postpartum? No, absolutely not. <laughs> you just capture amazing footage because because of your background. So we actually didn't even film until the first three months. And we only shot because it was my birthday. And I thought how beautiful it would be to have my director of photography, Mary Perino from Dream Girl, come to my house film, you know, this beautiful, you know, time in my life, in my brain, I'm thinking like, I want, you know, something nostalgic to remember this by. And so we just shot footage and she kind of followed me around and there was really no intention of, of creating anything from it. I just wanted footage of me and my daughter. And then kind of towards the end of the day, I was like, I'd love for Mary and for me to like capture emotionally how I'm feeling. And this was before I knew I had postpartum depression. I was like, I want to talk about, you know, what it feels like to be sleep deprived. I want to talk about, you know, the changes in my relationship. And, and so her and I did a very like not staged interview where I just kind of was sharing. These are the five things I want to share because you know, maybe down the line, I'll want to create something or I'll want to write something about motherhood. And I want to remember that this is what it is. So we just kind of did that day. And then, you know, I'm looking through the footage and I'm kind of hearing the interview and I'm, I'm kind of thinking, oh, this is kind of like, I thought it was interesting. (laughs) And I think at the time too, I was really disappointed with the content we are seeing around motherhood. You know, 
how can this thing that is so different for all of us and so intense or joyful or whatever it is for you, there's so many different stories. How come we don't have a thousand documentaries about motherhood? I want to see everybody's experience. And I felt like, you know, A, I wanted to see more and more and more. But also, B, I wanted to kind of explore what I was experiencing because I knew I had felt like the ground and the rug had been pulled out under me. So I just kind of kept exploring, you know, what does it look like? What does it feel like? And um, when Ginny started crawling, I invited Mary to come back and shoot again. And then that was kind of when the light bulb of, you know, maybe this could be about the first year. Maybe we could explore what this meant. At that moment, I had been diagnosed with PPD and was thinking like, you know, maybe I could explore this. How do I work through this? What does this mean to my, to what I perceive as my motherhood experience? So it just kind of became something I wanted to work on and explore and I found to be very healing. That's awesome. And it, I, it's occurring to me, I was as I was watching you edit it and go through it again and again and again, I wondered if it felt cathartic or if it felt like opening the wound again and again and again. A little bit of both, you know. I think especially when it came to like, you know, I talk about in the movie kind of the dark day of the soul of of really thinking about what my life means to me and if I want to be here physically and that was definitely painful to explore, but also kind of releasing. You know, I think we, when we keep things to ourselves and we hide our truth, we're kind of add a layer of shame on top of it. And so by being honest about how hard it was and what I was truly feeling and thinking, especially with the people closest to me, you know, my husband was watching the film and my best friend, Diana, who wrote the movie with me, it kind of became very cathartic, as you said. And it was also very interesting. You know, there's a scene where I'm in the shower and I'm crying. And Mary and I shot that scene kind of not knowing how it would be used, but I knew I wanted to shoot like a dark day of the soul moment. And so... What was kind of interesting is we didn't really rehearse how it was going to be shot. I just said, I'm going to get in the shower and I'm going to like be emotional and we'll see what happens. I don't know what's going to happen. And so we're kind of doing this like reenaction basically. And, you know, we had been shooting all day and I'm like so nervous about this scene. Like I'm not an actress. Like I have no idea what's going to happen. And you know, Mary is like a little sister to me. I've worked with her for like seven years and she's like, just get in there and we won't stage it and just see how it goes. And so I get in the shower and I immediately start like sobbing because I'm really trying to place myself in that feeling and in that moment and, you know, the weight of what all of those feelings are. And it was still so fresh and it was so bizarre as I'm sobbing and even in the shower, which I kind of feel like the bathroom in my old apartment is, feels like it's been tainted by this experience, you know, this heaviness. I feel it in this space. And as I'm crying kind of and finishing up kind of, you know, being in there and kind of having that and kind of reliving it, I felt the weight of it leave my body. And I felt like a release and I felt lighter and I felt happier. And I was like, 
this is like such a weird like therapeutic experiment of like reliving it, being with it, letting it go. And I do think in a lot of ways the film allowed me to kind of have these micro experiences where I really kind of got to dig deep into the pain and then release it. And it was almost giving yourself that permission to do so, right? Because so many of us are just trying to hold it in, hold it in. Mm. And you're kind of like, well, we're going here with the <laughs> film. So, so we're letting it out. So. Yeah. Yeah. The shower is my go-to cry place as well, which is very helpful. <laughs> you were talking about how group therapy um, was such a turning point for you. I think, and for any of us who have been to counselors or therapists, like sometimes it's about finding that right match. Yeah. What was it like finding the right match for your group? Did you like luck out the first time or did you find you needed to figure out where your people were? Yeah, I, I, I really lucked out. I mean, I had tried a couple of um, one-on-one therapists and, you know, at the time I was trying to find somebody local in Brooklyn And I ended up finding a therapist that actually didn't specialize in postpartum care. And so she didn't diagnose me and she was like really um, unhelpful in kind of any kind of emotional support. And so I kind of was like a light bulb went off of like, okay, I know I just want to walk five blocks to somebody, but I really need somebody who's going to like actually be here with me in this postpartum experience. So I got really lucky that I found the Brooklyn postpartum group and um, Melissa, who's in the film, who is my therapist in the film, is the leader of the group. So I feel like we really clicked as far as her energy and what she was willing to provide for us and not only you know, kind of creating this safe space, but also she's not afraid to kind of like call you on stuff or push you or give advice. And I know some therapists just kind of take a back seat and listen. And I I really want somebody like involved in my processing, which she does an amazing job at. And, you know, the women that were in my circle... I feel like we, I really just lucked out. I mean, it was so interesting to hear so many people's different experiences, the different ways it manifests, you know, I think we often think of postpartum depression, but you know, there's anxiety, there's OCD. So there's different, different nuances. People are first time mothers, second time mothers. So I think it was just really rewarding to hear just a totally different experience from my experience. And also the level of support and care each woman gave as they entered the room. You know, it was really kind of a tribute to Melissa, but like if somebody said something and they were being kind of down on themselves, you know, like the other women in the group would respond before Melissa did to kind of create this culture of like, I think you're doing a good job. Like, I think you were doing the best you can. And I think to have that, the women kind of show up for each other felt really transformative and just really kind. And isn't it funny that we don't say those things to ourselves? Like we're so easy to say it to our community members, but also how if you don't have those deep conversations, we miss so much because Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't remember the woman's name in the film, but you know, you're in your sort of group session and she's, you're all saying how it looked like she was doing such a great job at work. She's like, well, I was, but I was never seeing my kid and never having that connection so 
all these things that we just see such a glimpse from the outside, but unless you have these opportunities to connect in a meaningful way, and how it's not easy for parents to have a meaningful connection. Cause I don't know about you, but half the time I'm with other people with my kids, you're like, are they dying? Are they <laughs> putting something in their mouth? Are they right? It's so hard to go deep unless you're intentional about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's really hard to connect. I mean, I think also, you know, when you have that layer of um, postpartum, you know, depression or anxiety, I think it also tints your relationship to motherhood. It tints your experience. You know, I would look at women in my, I was really grateful to be part of the Park Slope parents when I lived in Brooklyn and I'd go to coffee dates and I'd go to these things and I loved these women and I loved their kids, but sometimes I'd sit across from them and be like, you know, I'm, I'm having suicidal thoughts today and we are not on the same page. And I know your kid's not sleeping, but I'm dealing with something that's totally different. (laughs) Um, and I think that can be kind of painful to be in those spaces and just not feel seen. Yeah. I remember my son had colic and I had a birth and babies group. So all the, you know, parents whose kids were born in the same two week window or whatnot. And I was the only one that talked about postpartum out of 12 people and felt very isolated. And then when my son had colic, it was just all the like, well, maybe he's just hungry or maybe he, you know, try this or this. And it was that like, do you not think I have tried everything in the book? Yeah. <laughs> I just need help for right. me. Right. It's parenting is just so interesting and nuanced. It's uh, yeah. Do you still have a community? Like, like, do you still connect with these same women or what does your community look like now that you've moved? Yeah. Well, I'm very lucky that, um, you know, I was, I went to high school and college in Buffalo and, you know, my best friend from third grade still lives here with her son. And um, so I do have a bit of a built-in community kind of organically. You know, I definitely miss kind of more of the spontaneous quality time of being in Brooklyn and walking out and going into a coffee shop with other moms and things like that. I find that like there's less structural community parents groups here now that I'm in Buffalo. But I also still am part of a digital you know, group therapy that I belong to. And, you know, as I explore what it means to have a second child, I'm being very proactive about my mental health and making sure I have the tools I need to, to feel supported. And so, but, but definitely feeling still new in the city and, and still figuring it out. So, And one of those adjustments for so many of us as working parents is our professional identity, right? Like, and we touched on it a little bit in the beginning, but, you know, you're this incredible filmmaker who's, you know, debuted their film at the Obama White House. And like, that's such a key part of you. So over the, because Ginny's three now, right? Almost three, yeah. Almost three. And so what, how has that roller coaster been over the last few years? It's been a roller coaster. (laughs) Um, You know, I always feel very unprocessed about talking about work and my relationship to work because truly I, when Ginny was born, I stepped into the role of being the full-time caregiver. And so my work has always been done in the margins, even producing year one I did during nap times. You know, I woke up early, I stayed up late but it would all centered kind of around taking care of my daughter. And so 
I have a very complicated relationship with my career and, and I think still mourning, you know, if I'm being totally honest, the, um, the glitz and the glamour of the experience of dream girl and how wonderful, you know, being on that ride was and how meaningful it meant to me. And I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what this next chapter is going to look like. I love being a filmmaker. I love being a storyteller. But I think that work is really good for me. I think it's actually part of how I view myself and part of my identity. And so I'm interested in exploring going back to work full time. And what does that mean? And who would I work for? And so I'm still navigating it quite a bit. Yeah, I find... I don't know if you experience this, but there also can be a bit of frustration at the systems that don't support working parents in the way they should, right? And I'm lucky to live in Canada where I got a year maternity leave, but I only got a year maternity leave because I worked a traditional job, right? Entrepreneurs don't get that in Canada. Like you have to have a certain, you know, type of job that allows you for that. And then in the US, completely different, right? As an entrepreneur, did you even get the six weeks? paid maternity or was there so I had set up I gave myself two months with an automated system that was kind of running and my um she was uh Diana who worked with me previously on dream girl kind of was managing my emails and so I did allow myself to take you know a couple of weeks off and things like that But you're totally right that there is no standardized paternity for the United States. I think New York State, it's done stately. So basically, like, we just learned that, you know, in New York State, you can take, my husband, I think, can now take six weeks, which is great. And his company did give him a month paternity leave last time. So, but yeah, you kind of, you're definitely on your own, especially as an entrepreneur and even kind of the idea of funding yourself figuring out your salary, especially as things are so seasonal, um, depending on what kind of business you're in, it can be, you know, extremely difficult for sure to get that leave. And, and I feel that now too, with back to school, you know, Ginny's going to preschool this weekend, you know, the invisible labor of school supplies and laundry and labeling things and putting things in bags and filling out forms and answering emails and going to parent nights. I'm like, I don't know if I could do this if I had a full-time job. I don't know how working parents do any of this stuff. I mean, it's absolutely insane what people expect you to just do and do well and be involved in a community. I'm like, oh my God, another community. Like, can we even handle kind of entering this space? But yeah, it's crazy. I I definitely wish, you know, from breastfeeding to paid leave to even just, you know, the maternal mental or maternal, yes, mental health crisis, you know, there's black maternal crises in the United States. I mean, there's so many avenues that we could, you know, all be doing a better job. Well, and then you get that school schedule and you see how many days they're off for the whole year. And you're like, my two weeks doesn't, this doesn't match up. Yeah. And right. even summers, like what, what do summers look like? You know, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah, the joy of waking up at like 5 a.m. to like log in at the point where those camps become available. You're like, this just doesn't seem right. (laughs) Yeah. So you talk about in year one about when you were on the other side of postpartum and the feeling the guilt for it Mm. and needing to like really invest in that self-compassion. How long did that take? What did that 
process of giving yourself self-compassion look like? Well, it was such a strange thing because I came out of my depression, you know, at about the year mark and I was starting to feel better and I was starting to feel like myself. And I think those pieces of identity that I really felt had exploded in the beginning felt like they were kind of coming in a new way. And I was feeling better, but I was feeling so much shame and guilt around the beginning of our time together not being this beautiful, magical, warm moment. And I felt a lot of resentment around, you know, other mothers who'd experienced that. And I just kind of, I also felt a little bit of, and I don't know like the exact word for it, but like disconnect around that being the beginning of my motherhood journey, that it was so dark and so heavy and so intense And I think a lot, like a lot of things in that first year, you think like the way you feel now is going to be how you feel forever. And it's so interesting. That part of the film always makes me really emotional because I don't have that anymore. I don't feel that pain anymore or that longing that it could be different. And I'm so glad I talked about it in the moment because I think that's truly where I was at. But I would also love to tell, you know, my past self that, you know, it, not only do you feel better, but it's going to get better. And the narrative around who you are as a mother is only going to get stronger and um, you're going to create more compassion. And, you know, obviously not all days are great days, but you're going to get better and better at it. And, and really my relationship with my daughter is so fantastic. Like, I just love being around her. I love listening to her. You know, I love like seeing what she's going to say or how she feels about something. And I think the heaviness that I felt around, you know, that specific period feels a lot lighter. And I think every year as we get older and our kids change and we change our relationship to them changes, it softens. You know, and now I, I truly look back at, you know, those first few months and just think of like how adorable she is. And I remember, you know, I'm not like one of those parents who's like, it was all breezy, you know, but I definitely think that glow of nostalgia that we want, you know, will, does return. And she's a cute kid. (laughs) Freaking adorable. How would you describe yourself as a mother now? You said that sort of narrative, you know, it does, we get to define it for ourselves and it changes over time. So who are you as a mom right now? (sighs) Right now I am, what a, what an interesting question. (laughs) I think right now I'm, I'm trying to be like a patience guru because I'm dealing with a lot of tantrums and we were actually, I like posted this thing at the park and Ginny wouldn't wear her shoes and I'm yelling at her and like, you know, it's so funny. You kind of like, you get triggered by their stress and there, there was this group of like older people and they were all doing like some kind of weird exercise in the park and I'm screaming at my daughter and they're all looking at me. Um, and then we recently went on a car trip and same situation with the shoes and I was able to like Zen through it. And I was like, this is like peak me as a mother, like working through it, figuring out how to get around this problem, like trying to listen to her. And I think, you know, it's just a series of like us 
making mistakes and then figuring them out. And I think just having a little bit of experience to know, like, we're going to learn from these really hard moments and we're going to figure them out. And also like, thank God my daughter can kind of talk and kind of, you know, communicate with me and I can kind of figure out what's going on. You know, I think it's so hard in that first year when you're just like flying blind the whole time. So, but I tried, I'm trying to have more, you know, fun with her and create more, you know, intentional spaces or moments, especially with the pandemic. It's, I feel like we've really lost like a whole year of, fun stuff yeah well it's been like half her life right 18 months or yeah wild how do you feel going into this second pregnancy you know it's such a weird thing because this pregnancy has been so different than it was with Ginny and I think being a mom I was texting my friend and I was like was it this hard the first time or are we just like exhausted from our toddlers and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, um, you know, I, as I said, I'm trying to like think about my mental health. Um, I have, I'm going to make myself a care package for when, um, I come home from the hospital. I'm going to have like my favorite things, my favorite foods. I'm really trying to like set myself up to like take care of myself. And I'm going to make like a mood board of like all of my favorite celebrities who've had PPD and put it in the nursery I'm trying to be, you know, intentional about having my, my therapist on hand and my group sessions on hand, but it's interesting. I feel like in, in a lot of ways, we know our lives are going to blow up, which is great, but who knows kind of like what the energy of this new child will bring and, and how Ginny will respond to it. So it's a little scary, but we're excited. But it's like, it is that uncertainty, right? But you, you know, like you were saying, you know, it's going to blow up. You just don't know quite how, at least you have that sense of somewhat preparation, right? Are we ever prepared for kids? Right. But I think knowing exactly what you said, like knowing that it's going to be nuts is like that, that's it. Right. As long as you know, it's going to be crazy. I love that mood board of celebrities who's on there. Cardi B's on there. Gwyneth Paltrow's on there. You know, all hail Queen Alanis, who've had, who had PBD three times with three children. God bless her. Princess Diana. I mean, it's a great slew of women, honestly. Reese Witherspoon. She, ha- I've never heard her talk about PPD. That's interesting. She, she's only mentioned it in one line of one podcast. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I'm always fascinated with kind of who's who will kind of talk about it or who won't. It's yeah, yeah, interesting. So, what's on the go for you now? Aside from baby, obviously, a big thing. What's on the go for you now, work-wise, planning for the next couple of years? What's going on for Aaron? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of in development on something that's still kind of. Um, in the creative process um, that's going to kind of focus on postpartum in more of like a television space, hopefully. So that's something that's kind of slowly inching forward. And then, you know, I have really fallen in love with my newsletter and kind of sharing my parental musings and aha moments. So, you know, I'd love to continue to still be blogging and and writing and, and kind of sharing what I learn or, or funny stories that have happened, you know, and then I'm, I have actually my friend, um, Katie Callahan is a fellow mother of two and musician and 
I'm working with her on um, a music video that's coming out this week. will already be out when this aired. So just kind of picking up projects that feel intentional and with people I love that are, you know, in the creative motherhood space. So doing more of that, I hope. Oh, I love it. Well, we'll definitely link to to your blog and your newsletter because it is such a good read. Everyone needs to to be part of that. So we'll wrap up with the final five that I ask all of my guests. So what are the, what are some of the things or projects that get you fired up in a good way, personal or professional? I think anytime I get to be editing footage, I'm just always so like lit up and excited. And I love the challenge of piecing together, you know, this assorted random bits of footage and telling a story. And it, I guess there's so many permutations there could be of it, right? So finding your perfect combination, that's really cool. What's one of the most inspiring books you've read or listened to in the past few years? I actually just finished um, Such a Fun Age, and it's a fabulous fiction book. I love fiction, and it's kind of about the racial dynamics of a mom and her babysitter and um, living in Philadelphia, and it's such a fabulous book, and I've, I finished it last week, and I can't stop thinking about it. And I feel like oftentimes, I think especially as a white woman, I'm always trying to like, you know, be aware, learn more, educate myself, especially on Black Lives Matter. And to read something like this in the storytelling form that was such a fabulous book, but I, I'm like continuing to like unpack it um, is so powerful. So I really recommend um, especially mothers to pick it up. Yeah, I read that recently and it's uh, it definitely gets you thinking. So good read. What are some of your go-to, we've talked about some of them, but what are some of your go-to strategies for handling stress? Like if you're feeling things amping up, what's the first couple things you move to? I think rest is number one. Um, I think oftentimes we feel like we have to bulldoze through like whatever we're doing in those stressful moments, but I feel like that is a red flag for me to like pause and rest and sit down and drink water and kind of like recenter myself. So I always try to like not make decisions in that place of stress where you're just feeling so crazy. Such a good tip. The making decisions under duress is they usually don't end up being the best decisions, hey? Yeah. What's the best life lesson you've learned or advice that you've been given? Oh my gosh, what a big question. Um, you know, I recently listened to a podcast with Oprah and I'm going to look up the lady's name while we're talking about it, but there was such a beautiful conversation about your life's purpose and not wanting dreams that are not for you. It's with Carolyn Miss and the podcast called Discovering Your Life's Purpose on Super Soul, on the Super Soul podcast. And I think something like that really resonated with me just recently of, I think in Instagram life, we look at everybody else's stuff and we say, that would be nice. That would be nice. And I think like trying to covet dreams that are not yours is like, oh, okay. Like what is really meant for me? What is really meant to serve me and what I'm working towards and who I am and what I'm trying to give to the world? So I think I've been doing a lot of self-reflection around like, what are the dreams that are meant for me? That's really powerful, right? Because we are constantly being given 
feedback from others, right? So that's, uh, I'll have to take a listen. We'll link to it in the show notes. And the last question is, what does it mean to you to live your best life, a good life? I think right now in this stage of motherhood, I think it's not forgetting about myself. Um, I think it's so easy, as we know, to kind of be taken care of and moving things forward for everybody. But, you know, even now it's hard for me to like get in a shower and blow dry my hair. And, you know, Julian Markley says on The Good Wife, like it's the shallow things that matter the most when you're under a lot of stress and when you're not feeling like yourself. And lately I've been kind of coming to that as, you know, like I need to take care of myself. I need to blow dry my hair. I need to put on mascara. I need to um, continue to to honor, you know, um, being in a place where I, yeah, I'm taking care of myself. So that's something I'm, you know, constantly thinking about and pushing forward. And I think about when I think about my best life, I think about making sure that my priorities and goals are part of my families. Love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Everybody needs to go out and watch your one today. We will link to it in the show notes. It is so thank you again from the bottom of my heart for creating a a documentary that so many of us just, I cried, I laughed. I, uh, it's only 30 minutes, (laughs) only 30 minutes, right? But watch it during nap time. Right to the soul. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Victoria. Big thank you to Erin for joining us on the podcast. I enjoyed this conversation so much. I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. Uh, Again, make sure to check out your one. Make sure to check out her newsletter, which we have linked to in the description of this episode, wherever you're listening to it, whatever podcast player or app, it is there in the description. Sign up. You will not regret it. And just last little shout out, if you are an ebook reader, Stressless in 90 Days is available for pre-order on Amazon ebook as we speak. And uh, I hope to have more updates on all the different places that it's available for pre-order next week. So have a fantastic week. The, The last thing I would just say is take good care of yourselves right now. I know life can feel so challenging and so hard right now. The world can feel like a dumpster fire, but you're here and it's one foot in front of the other, right? So take good care and we'll chat next week. Bye.